Thanks for joining me for season two of the Cleveland Baseball Mornings podcast. That's right, it's 2021. We're getting ramped up for the new season, and it's a good time to start the second season of our podcast. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and there's no games on the field to talk about yet, but the Indians have finally done it. They've made the trade. They've made the transaction. We've been waiting pretty much two years for them to do with a pit in our stomach. They, the Cleveland Indians have traded Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the New York Mets. We'll get into it. We'll talk about all the details. Look, we'll, be, we'll, we'll get a little angry first. We'll get it out of the way. And then we'll talk about some of the players coming back to the Indians and what it means for the Indians' future. Because I'm always someone who is going to look towards the future. I am always someone who is going to enjoy baseball being played in Cleveland. And no matter what the names are on the back of the jersey, I'm always going to be a fan going forward of baseball. So, first, the anger. Twitter, my God, Twitter is a... Uh, just a cesspool of anger. I, I could not believe how furious the reactions were uh, from Indians Twitter over this trade. And look, the Dolans. The fact that the payroll is down to like $35 million, the fact that it's the lowest. You've seen the, the tweets out there that, um, you know, Mike Trout makes more than the entire Indians team combined. I think someone tweeted out that Kevin Love makes more than the entire Cleveland Indians team combined right now. It is despicable how little the Dolans are spending on this baseball team. Now, if you're going to tell me that, uh, you know, they're, they're setting the team up to sell or something like that, and they're, they're literally trimming the books as tight as they can to make it attractive to a new owner to come in, still despicable. But it is the reality in which we're living right now in Cleveland, right? We do not have an insane billionaire. I don't know the net worth of the Dolans, but, you know, the Mets have a new billionaire owner, and he was looking to make a splash. It, it made all the sense in the world, right? When the when the articles started coming out in late, you know, early November and in December, where possible trades, possible big blockbuster trades, you know, Bleacher Report loves doing articles like that. Lindor was always linked to the Mets because it made sense. They had some top-level uh, prospects, especially middle infielders, as you see from what we got back in this trade. They have a new billionaire owner waiting to make a splash. It made all the sense in the world. If, if Lindor does not get locked up by the Mets on a huge 10-year, 13-year, $350, $400 million contract, I will be shocked. If he is not one of the top five paid baseball players in baseball uh, before 2021 is over, I will be shocked. It just makes all the sense in the world for that franchise and for these two teams to link up on this trade. But yeah, the fact that the Dolans could draft, you know, we draft a guy like this, we, we train him, you know, we coach him, we teach him up, he develops, he fights, he works hard, he makes himself one of the best players in baseball, and then he's gone like that after five seasons. It's pretty painful. It's pretty messed up that he doesn't even make it to the end of his rookie contract, really. 
Uh, it's just it's something you don't see in the other sports, right? The Browns are talking about it right now, that fifth-year extension for Baker Mayfield or a long-term extension for Baker Mayfield. I'm sure the Cavs will be thinking about that for Colin Sexton coming up soon. But both of those sports, it's kind of ingrained in those sports that a rookie would re-sign for that second contract with the team that drafted them. That's how those sports are built. Uh, That's how the sports are set up. It's not like that in baseball. When the guy gets to the end of his rookie contract in baseball, it's time to move on. And we're seeing it all over baseball, especially against these small market teams. And it's pretty messed up. It's pretty sick. It's pretty sickening. But it is a reality. It happened. Are the Dolans cheap? Absolutely. Does this mean you'll never be a fan of the Cleveland Indians again or you'll never watch baseball again? No, of course not. Of course not. The one thing about Clevelanders is we support our teams. No matter what, almost to a fault, we support our teams. And we will keep doing that for the Cleveland Indians or whatever this baseball team will be called in the future. Look, I wish I could stop saying Cleveland Indians, but that's what they're going to call the team next year. So for search engine optimization alone, I have to continue to call this podcast Cleveland Baseball Mornings, a Cleveland Indians fan podcast, right? I, I got to keep in consistency with what they're calling the team. I wish they called them the Cleveland Baseball Club this season, but they're not going to do that. So until they change the name of the team, that's the name of the team. I'm not going to buy anything that says Indians on it because I know that name's changing. I'm not going to buy anything with Chief Wahoo on it. That's all going away. But for this year, we're going to have to keep calling them the Cleveland Indians. Anyways, that's off track. What is on track is that the Indians have traded two of the best players in recent franchise history, and they've got back an interesting haul for it. And it's something that Antonetti and Chernoff have been building into all of their trades, and that is players for now and players for the future. We saw it with the Clevenger trade. We saw it with the Bauer trade. Players for now players for the future. I mean, the Clevenger trade, what was it? It was three major league players, right? Naylor, uh, the catcher, Austin Hedges, and Cal Quintrill. So that's three major league players. And then they got a bunch of minor league players, right? They got Owens, they got Arias, the shortstop, and another pitcher. So that was it, a trade for now and a trade for the future. Well, that's exactly what the Cleveland Indians have done in this trade. They've got two players for now, and two players for way out in the future. So the two players they got for now would be infielder Ahmed Rosario, uh, shortstop Andres Jimenez, I should really say infielder for both of them, pitcher Josh Wolf, who was a 2019 second-round pick, and Isaiah Green, outfielder who was a 2020 second-round pick. So Wolf and Green... Let's just get this out of the way right now. Those guys are long-term prospects. I mean, we're lucky if they're going to be starting in Lake County this season. And Antonetti said in his press conference that he really doesn't know what the minor leagues are going to look like. So there's a chance that, I mean, maybe these guys start in Lake County. Maybe they start out in Arizona, you know, in some kind of rookie league. We don't know. We don't know what the minors are going to start like, look like, but these guys are going to be way down in the system. However, they're both exciting prospects. Wolf 
has a really strong arm. He was a high school pitcher, pitcher taken in 2019. He has a brief time in the Mets kind of rookie league, the Gulf Coast League, and he was pretty dominant there. He was striking dudes out there. He throws in the high 90s with his fastball. He's got a decent breaking ball, and in, in one scouting report, it was called a curveball. Antonetti called it a slider. So, I mean, in three or four years when this guy's up here, we'll see what it actually is. And he's working on his changeup, which I think most guys that just get drafted like this are probably working on a third pitch, right? They 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 don't have that full repertoire, but this guy is now in the Cleveland Indians pitching factory, right? This guy has a chance. He's 20 years old to be a dominant right-handed hard-throwing pitcher. So he's tall too. He's uh 6'2, 6'3 or something like that. So it's a big guy coming up to pitch. So it's going to be exciting. He was the number nine uh, prospect for the uh, for the Mets. I think. Let's see here. According to MLB, they've now got him number twelve as far as Indians prospects go. So now that he's slotted in the Indian system, they've got him at twelve. Now Isaiah Green was the other prospect that we got. He just got drafted. He hasn't even played in like a rookie league or anything like that. He played a little bit in their instructional league during the pandemic season or whatever, and apparently did very well. Um, he's 19 years old. He was the number 10 prospect for the Mets. They've got him slotted into the Indians farm system at number 16 now for us as a prospect. He's six one, 180 lefty center fielder, really fast. Just looking at the sort of the prospect, the draft video that they had on him, I'm not going to lie. It kind of looks like a Michael Brantley swing. It looks like a nice, easy, smooth swing. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. You know, mechanics change over time. Do you follow through with two hands? Do you release a hand? You know, your stance widens or shortens as you come up through the system. So we'll see. But I'm telling you, looking at that little video, it looked like a really young Michael Brantley kind of swing. So, these guys are not going to be anywhere near this major league team for at least, with the pitcher, another two or three seasons, with the outfielder, probably three or four seasons. So, very long-term prospects, but it's good to get these guys in your pipeline. Do they turn into future trade assets one day? Do they make it all the way up into the system with your team? Who knows? But they are good prospects, right? It's not like we took some guys that weren't even ranked in their system, some random dudes that were taken in the you know 16th round of the draft. These are very, very high-quality young players. So that's good. Now the two major league guys. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, we'll start with the older guy. He's 25 years old. He, at one time, was the number five overall prospect in baseball. In 2017, he was number five overall. He was a very exciting prospect, and he has struggled. He has really struggled at the major league level. In four seasons for the Mets, let's see, he hit 248, then 256, 287 in his 2019 season. Everyone's going to point to the 2019 season because it was clearly his best season. And then 252 last year in the shortened season. Uh, his WRC plus, weighted runs created plus, remember, Plus is where it's set at league average is set to 100. So if you're above 100, that's good. If you're below 100, that's bad. He hit 100 in his 2019 season. So he was right at league average. Everything else has been below 100 and well below 100. Last year, he was at 76 
WRC plus. So it's not good. That's not good. Uh, War wins above replacement. He's always been in the positive numbers there. It was a good 2019 again. He was at 2.7 war. Last year, it was only at 0.1. So uh, what is the scouting report on Rosario? He has always had a good hit tool. He's always had speed, and he's known for his defensive ability. Like, he's always had a good glove. But he has struggled at the major league level. He's been inconsistent with his glove at the major league level, and he lacks discipline. He does not walk. He strikes out. It's another guy in the Indian system. The Indians haven't shown the ability really to correct a guy who does not have good plate discipline. So we'll see if anything changes once he gets into the Indian system. Now, I will tell you that when he locks in, from what I've seen and, you know, watching highlights on him and stuff like that, he is an exciting player. He, uh, he bats right-handed. He can go to the opposite field. Uh, he, let's look at his uh, batted balls. He was 36.7% pull. 37.6% to center, and 25.7% to the opposite field. And I'm telling you, in these highlights, a lot of these highlights, doubles, home runs, were to right center field. Uh, you know, So that's good to see. I always love to see a guy that can spray and use the whole field. That's always a plus sign. Now, uh, his, his batting stance, the way he swings, he kind of keeps that left hip closed. And he keeps that left knee turned in, and he really uncoils on the ball. And he can keep his hands back and keep his hands inside, which allows him to go to the opposite field. And he can uncoil when he wants to pull the ball. And so we have seen some power. If you look at the highlights, you will see some power from that swing. So it'll be interesting. What do the Indians do with that swing? Do they do something to help him with his plate discipline or help him uh, you know, see the ball better? Do they do they loosen up that leg, that front leg a little bit? Do they change something with that? I hope they don't change anything with his hands because his hands seem to be working the way he can keep his hands in tight and bring his hands through. So it'll be interesting to see if the swing changes, if the swing stays the same. I think there's a lot of, I mean, he has four years of experience here, so there's a lot of tape on him. So it'll be very obvious if getting into the Indian system and getting with our hitting instructors changes anything in his swing. Because I think there's still potential here. You don't get to be the number five prospect in baseball, in all of baseball, without having some serious skill and some serious potential. And it's just a matter of unlocking that. He's fast. He hustles. He seems like he's really excited to be out there. I think he's going to bring a lot of energy to this lineup and a lot of hustle, and we'll see. We'll see where he fits in defensively. And to, to get to that, let's talk about the other prospect they got, Andres Jimenez. He is 22 years old. He was uh, he was in the top 100 at one point for MLB. I think he peaked at number 83 in the, the prospect pipeline rankings that they do. He was, I think, up to the number three prospect in the Mets system. At one point, and he played all of 2020 with the Mets. He made the jump from double A to playing with the Mets for 2020 season. Obviously, the 2020 season will always go down as one of the weirdest in baseball, and things like this happen. They happened all over baseball where they're like, look, no triple A, we're just gonna play this guy. He played all over, he played a lot of games at short, played a little bit at second, and a few games at third. He has got the athletic ability to play 
anywhere. I mean, this dude is just a baseball player. He can play probably any position on the field pretty good. And he's he's supposed to be a really, really good defensive shortstop. This is guy is the key to the whole trade because as much as we're all going to miss Francisco Lindor and as much as his defense and him anchoring the center of the field meant to the Indians, Jimenez is the kind of prospect that can kind of fill that spot. He really might be able to fill the shoes that Francisco Lindor left, which what which was what makes this such an interesting trade, right? We got the one guy back. There was another prospect in the Mets system who was their number one prospect, but he was a single A guy. He was a shortstop, and maybe that dude is the next future Francisco Lindor. Maybe he is, but he's going to take two or three more years to be at the majors. This guy is at the majors. He's ready to go. The moment wasn't too big for him. I think he finished seventh in the rookie of the year voting. He had a decent season. He hit um, he hit 263, uh, and over 700 OPS, and uh, his WRC plus was over 100. It was 105. His WAR was 0.8, so created some positive WAR there. That's good to see. So this guy, you know, the moment wasn't too big for him. He did not walk a lot either. Struck out 21 percent of the time, which hey, it'll happen to rookies. That's higher than uh, it had been in the minors. But as he's gone up through the minor league systems, his strikeouts have also gone up and his walks have gone down. So that's going to be something for the Indians coaches to try and reverse. I mean, when he starts at the rookie ball with the Mets, he's walking a lot. And as he goes through the system, it just drops and drops and drops. So is that a guy just trying to be more aggressive as he goes up through the system? Or is that the pitching catching up to him? Uh, as he gets higher in the system and faces better pitching. So we'll see what happens over his major league career here. Obviously, with only one season in the majors and a very short season, it's a small data set that we kind of have to go on here. So this guy is going to develop as a Cleveland Indian. This should be your Cleveland Indians shortstop for at least the next four or five years. And it'll be interesting to see where they play these two guys because Rosario was primarily a shortstop but can play other positions. Jimenez came up as a shortstop, but they had to use him at other positions. And he was athletic enough to play other positions. So is it the kind of situation where you're like, look, Rosario is most comfortable as short, so we're just going to play him as short and play Jimenez all over the place? Or is it going to be a situation where it's like, look, Jimenez is a dynamite shortstop. Why are we even messing around? Put him at short. Rosario can figure it out at other positions. I hope that's the case. I really hope Jimenez sticks as the shortstop for seriously the next four or five years. And when he gets to the end of his arbitration years, we'll see what happens. If the Dolans still even own the team or we have an owner who's actually able to, you know, secure some talent and keep guys in this city. Or, you know, uh, will Jimenez bounce out? Will he be a second baseman? And will Rosario stick as shortstop? So... I hope, I hope it's the other way around. I hope it's Jimenez. Let's figure out how we can use Rosario effectively, whether that's at second base. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Rosario has ever played the outfield. I'll scroll down here and see. He did. In 2019, he played one game, three innings in the outfield. So that's not much. Everything else for the Mets has been at shortstop. So 
We'll see. We'll see if they move him off of shortstop. Uh, we also have, remember, we have Yu Chang, who's ready to go. And I know there was a lot of people on Twitter who are angry about Yu Chang. I'm excited about Yu Chang. I think there could be big things for Yu Chang. So I want to see him get a chance, too. I mean, could we get into a situation where Amen Rosario is the utility guy? And Jimenez and Yu Chang are your combination up the middle. I think this is going to be a big competition coming into spring training. Whatever spring training looks like, because they have no clue what it looks like right now. I think between Jimenez, Rosario, and Yu Chang, you are going to have a really fun competition up the middle of the field to see what makes the most sense, right? They're going to have to balance between what a guy's long-term potential is and what makes the most sense for the 2021 season. And with I mean, Jose Ramirez locked in at third base. There's going to be a competition at first base among some other guys. Yeah, it's gonna. there's going to be some competition this year to figure out this lineup, figure out this roster. That's why I don't even want to do a what could the 2021 starting lineup look like. Who knows? There's going to be so much that could happen in, you know, those couple weeks out, whether they're out in Arizona, whether they're in Cleveland. There's going to be a lot to figure out for Terry Francona. So... These are the two guys that we got from the Mets that are going to be on our team. These guys will probably be in the opening day lineup or figure in to uh, to this team a lot this season. So it's ex- it's exciting. Anytime there's a trade, it should be. I know it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating to trade Lindor and Carrasco, but it should be a little bit exciting with what we got back. The fact that we got two major league guys, two major league talented guys back. These people that say the Indians got fleeced on this trade and things like that, it's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. We got four very, very good baseball players back for what we gave up. And you should be a little bit excited to see what these guys are going to bring. I think Everyone seemed to love Jimenez on, you know, watching the Mets highlights again for Jimenez. Everyone on that dugout seemed to be really excited for this guy. It shows me that this is a guy that was able to connect with his teammates as a young guy. Every time he got a hit, every time he drove in an RBI, the guys in the dugouts were pumped, right? They're up on the railing. They're waving at him. They're doing their all the hand signs that they do, you know, to celebrate hits. I love it. I love seeing it. Same thing with Rosario, high energy. Even though he has struggled at the major league level, dude seems like he was really playing hard, at least in the video that I'm able to find on him. So I think it's going to be exciting. I think 2021 still has the potential to be exciting. Now, one of the other things that Chris Antonetti said in his press conference, and let me tell you something about a Chris Antonetti press conference. He will say exactly what you think he's going to say in a press conference. There's there's Hollywood screenwriters that could script out an Antonetti press conference because it is exactly the cliches that you expect it to be. Now, I believe him when he says that this was really hard, that he was in tears talking to Lindor and Carrasco about having to trade them. I believe the things he says, but they're also the most cliche things. I'm sure if you go play MLB 2021 The Show and you're in some kind of franchise mode and you get traded, I'm sure the things that the general manager in the video game says will sound just like the things Antonetti says because he knows how to hit the cliches. Now, one of the things he said is that 
this is, we're always looking at opportunities, but this is probably the end of subtracting from the team. <laughs> All of you people on Twitter, by the way, who are like, well, they should just trade Jose Ramirez now because this team is going to stink. That is ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Jose Ramirez arguably has been the better player than Francisco Lindor over the last few season, seasons. And if we can keep Jose Ramirez around, we absolutely should lock Jose Ramirez up for as long as we can playing in Cleveland. That dude is one of the most exciting baseball players in the game. And it is an honor to watch him play in Cleveland every day. So those of you who are just angry and venting on Twitter, let it go. Right? Jose Ramirez, we should be trying to keep him as long as we possibly can. And that's what he says. He says we're going to take some of the savings and reinvest them in this team. Now, that could mean a couple of things. It could mean nothing. It could just be general manager speak. Again, the cliche from the book of cliches that every general manager has to do after trading a franchise star. It could also mean signing an outfielder. We know that although we have a ton of outfielders ready to go at the major league level, most of them have sucked so far. Like I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I mean, watching Zimmer and Mercado strike out last year was really rough. Luplo did not find the power that he had two years ago. It was rough. So could this team use a proven outfielder? Absolutely. Is that a way they can reinvest some of this money? Absolutely. Will they? I kind of doubt it. The way I see them spending this money, and when he says, remember, he didn't say we're going to use this money to go sign a free agent. He said we're going to reinvest it in the team, which leads me to believe that that signals most likely a contract extension or at least an attempt at a contract extension for Shane Bieber. They've been able to do it with some guys, right? They did it with Carrasco. They, uh, I think they did it with Corey Kluber too, where they were able to give them the kind of deal that gave them money now and extended them into free agency for the next few years. So if they're able to work out something like that with Shane Bieber so they don't have to worry about arbitration with him, they don't have to worry about him leaving a free agency right away, they can get a few years of his free agency in a contract, that's a way I can see them reinvesting that money. Because let's face it, Shane Bieber... With everybody we've had, with Kluber, with Bauer, with Clevenger, with CeCe Sabathia, with Cliff Lee, even going back to Bartolo Colon, I think we can all agree that Shane Bieber might be the most exciting of all of those ace pitchers that the Indians have ever had. That's how dominant he was last year. He was Scherzer, Verlander. Uh, you know, levels of dominant and uh, Garrett Cole levels of dominant. And yeah, if the Indians can reinvest this money by locking up Shane Bieber, let's do it. Let's do it. Sign me up for that. If they could reinvest this money by locking up Jose Ramirez even longer. I, I don't know what Ramirez's contract is at right now, but could they add a few more years to Ramirez's contract and keep make sure that he stays around? That would be a fantastic way to reinvest this money. So there are some exciting things. There are some exciting possibilities of what they could do with the money. Is there any guarantee that they're going to spend it? No. They said that after they traded Corey Kluber, and the only thing they really did was Cesar Hernandez. Okay. By the way, speaking of Cesar Hernandez, uh, watching Andres Jimenez's highlights, the new shortstop we got, he actually kind of reminded me of Cesar Hernandez a little bit. Uh, Both lefties... 
both not really known for their power, but definitely known uh, for putting the bat on the ball. So I, if Andres Jimenez can project like Cesar Hernandez played for us last year, I, I'd take that in a second. That, that might be a really good comp for what he could turn into at the plate and be even better defensively. Uh, at the at the more premier position, right of shortstop over second base. Not to, not to harp on the second baseman. You guys are great. I love growing up. Second base was the position I wanted to play. I loved watching Carlos Baerga turn double plays, go deep in the hole, spin and throw back to first base. I wanted to play second base growing up. So I have all the respect in the world for second baseman. But we all know shortstop is the more premier defensive position. All right, so so those are the ways that they could reinvest some of this money. Now, talking about losing Lindor and talking about losing Carlos Carrasco, it hurts, right? It really hurts. I think losing Carlos Carrasco actually hurts more than losing um, than losing Francisco Lindor for the career leaders for the Cleveland Indians, right? Career pitching leaders, the leaderboards across all stats. Of, it's a lot on uh, baseball reference, but for pitchers war, the leader is Bob Feller by far, far and away. Bob Feller, 65.2 war for his career. Uh, Carlos Carrasco clocks in at number 21 all time in the Indians history at 21.3 war. So value wise, he clocks in at the 21st best pitcher in franchise history. Uh, the most recent guy in this list is Corey Kluber was number eight. He got up to number eight all time in franchise history. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for Carlos Carrasco. He is in good company there. Um, some more interesting stats, uh, 18th in wins, 88 wins for Carlos Carrasco. Again, Bob Feller, the leader in wins, 266 wins in his Indians career. Uh, so Carrasco, number 18 on that list. Um, this one is fun. Uh, whip walks and hits per inning pitch. Addy Joss was actually the leader with a sub one whip. He gave up less than one walker hit per inning pitch. Corey Kluber is actually number two on that list all time for the Cleveland Indians at 1.086. Uh, Carlos Carrasco comes in at 15th at 1.196, actually tied with Mike Clevenger for 15th all time on the Indians for that. Strikeouts is the one I wanted to talk about. Strikeouts per nine innings. You will not believe. Go ahead. Take a second right now. If you're in the car, if you're walking the dog, you're definitely not mowing the lawn right now. Take a guess at who the strikeouts per nine innings leader is in Indians history. It's someone recent. Ready for this? Danny Salazar at 10.471 strikeouts per nine innings. If you wonder why Danny Salazar got so many chances, if you wonder why they kept bringing him back even after the injuries and the mental things he went through, it's because at one time this guy was a dominant strikeout pitcher. I mean, he pitched that wild card game for us back in the early 20-teens. Uh, he was a strikeout machine. 10.471 strikeouts per nine innings. Number two on the, you'll love this list. This is all, this shows what a pitching factory the Indians have been lately and the focus on the strikeout. 
Number two on this list is Mike Clevenger at 10.043 strikeouts per nine innings. Number three, Corey Kluber at 9.8 strikeouts per nine innings. Number four, Carlos Carrasco at 9.454 strikeouts per nine innings. And number five, Trevor Bauer at 9.428 strikeouts per nine innings. Why was so everyone so excited about the Indians pitching throughout the teens? Because they have been dominant strikeout pitchers. Uh, then we start to get into the veterans, Herb Score, Sam McDowell, Zach McAllister, actually, Louis Tiant, Dennis Eckersley, round out your top 10 strikeout pitchers for the Cleveland Indians. So yeah, so Carlos Carrasco will definitely have his place here in Indians history, right? He has definitely cemented a legacy, not only that, but in the city of Cleveland. Even if he didn't go through what he went through with cancer, his story is still incredible. His commitment to this team, to the city, to the game of baseball, Carlos Carrasco will always, always be a favorite player of Cleveland Indians fans, especially that grew up or went through this era of Indians baseball. I can see Carlos Carrasco definitely being cemented in the Indians Hall of Fame one day. Um, we'll see where his career goes. I mean, he's got some, he went through some struggles, right? With some of the injuries and then he had a relief pitch for a little bit. So will he ever get the career numbers to make it into the baseball hall of fame? We'll see. He still has a lot of run left on his career. So we'll see what happens, but I definitely see Carlos Carrasco being entered into the Indians hall of fame one day, being out there in center field with some of these other great pitchers. Now, as far as Carlos uh, Francisco Lindor goes, Francisco Lindor, it's almost a shame that he isn't higher on some of these lists. Uh, for war for position players, it's Nat Lajue who still leads the Indians for war per position players at 79.8. Uh, Francisco Lindor checks in at number 20 all-time on the Indians' war list at 28.7, just below Ray Chapman. Um, below Carlos Santana, who was at 29.8. That's right. Carlos Santana's career will always go down as, you know, as, from a war point, he created more value than Francisco Lindor did in his Indians career. Uh, the most recent, you know, players on this list are actually Kenny Lofton and Jim Tomey, who rank five and six in all-time history for war for Indians players. For offensive war, um... Francisco Lindor is only 27th. I mean, this guy was so good at the plate, but he ranks 27th in franchise history as far as offensive war. Defensive war, he ranks a little higher. He's ninth all-time in defensive war. So I think, I think based on the numbers, I mean, when this guy was drafted, he was supposed to be the franchise. I'm not going to say the savior of Indians baseball because there were other good things happening in Indians baseball before he came up. I mean, in the years before Lindor came up as a rookie, they were becoming competitive again, right? The, the Terry Francona years had already started. They had already had that wild card experience. Uh, they were they were showing progress and they were really starting to put together a team. And Francisco Lindor coming up is what took him to the moon. It's what took him to the next level. It's what took him to the World Series in 2016. But, I mean, when this guy was drafted, I remember when Lindor was drafted, everybody just knew that this was the guy. This was the guy that was going to 
turnaround Indians baseball. He, that was going to be the next Cleveland Indians star. And it's going to be a shame because he is not going to impact the Indians record books the way he should have. He should have been up there with Kenny Lofton and Jim Tomey at the top of the war leaderboards. He should be up there on, you know, games played for the Indians where he will now rank. He won't. He's not even in the top 50 for games played in an Indians uniform. How's that even possible? Jason Kipnis ranks in at number 23. Travis Hafner rapes in at 26. Michael Brantley, number 28, tied with Ray Chapman at 1,051 games played in Indians uniform. Johnny Peralta is number 42 on that list. As Jubal Cabrera is 43. Grady Sizemore is 46. No Francisco Lindor on this list. That's, that's a shame. That's an absolute shame. Hits, he should be up on this list. Uh, ranked high in this list. He's like 46th for hits in Indians franchise history. Home runs, he should be up on that list. I mean, it's just, it's a shame. It's a shame that Francisco Lindor is not going, he's 15th on home runs. Imagine what he could have been if they would have locked him up for another contract. Uh, it's a shame that his name is just not going to impact the Indians record books the way it should have, you know, the way we all expected it to when he got drafted. So, Am I angry? Am I angry with the Dolans? Yeah, a little bit. But you know what? Am I excited for baseball? Am I excited for what the Indians have and what the Indians are putting together? Yeah, I I am a little bit excited. I know all of you on Indians Twitter out there think it's a minor league lineup, and it probably is. But what is it going to develop into? I'm always excited for what it's going to develop into. I think there's a bright future for some of these guys. And I think we should be excited. I think we should be more excited than we are for the 2021 season. I know everybody feels like we have slipped, officially slipped behind the Twins and slipped behind the White Sox as far as this division goes. But our pitching is still fantastic. And we basically, basically made it to the playoffs last year on pitching alone because the offense was really weak last year. One of the worst offenses. We went over this. One of the worst offenses in Indians history, franchise history. And, you know, will that trend continue? Will this be a pitch first, hit second team? Maybe, but I think they could play some really good defense. And I think some of these hitters could develop. I think, I I think some of these guys can step up to the moment. I, I think there's a chance here. There's a chance for some of these guys to develop and to step up to the moment and become the hitters that we've seen flashes of, the, the guys, the talent that we've seen flashes of from Mercados and Zimmers and Nailers and who knows who knows if a guy like Bobby Bradley is going to figure it out and take over first base. That's what I'm hoping for. Will a guy like Yu Chang figure out and, and maybe be able to take over second base? The door is wide open for him. So... It's ridiculous that what the Indians' payroll is going to be for the 2021 season. Even if they go out and sign an outfielder, it's still going to be a ridiculous payroll from a team that was up to 120, 130 million at the height of their playoff run, right? When they had uh, Jay Bruce and when they had Encarnacion and these guys, right? It's ridiculous what the payroll is now. But we got talent. We at least were able to trade Lindor for some talent. It's what we do. We're the farm system for the big markets, I know. But 
We got some really good players, and I am excited. I'm going to continue. You cannot take that from me. No matter how angry you get Indians Twitter, you're not going to take that from me. I will always be excited for where this team is going. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Listen, if you've got thoughts about this trade, if you've got thoughts about the 2021 season, I would love to do like a mailbag type episode where I respond to your thoughts. So if you've been listening to me all through the 2020 season, if you're new, if you're a new listener that just found our show because you heard this trade and you wanted to listen to a podcast about it, email me at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com and I will talk about your thoughts on the show. We'll talk about it together. We'll break down what you have to say. We'll get into it and we'll see how Indians and fans are feeling. Let me know how you're feeling heading into this 2021 season. All right. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. You can call in and leave your thoughts that way. I'll play them back on air and respond to your thoughts. And we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Morning.